Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. It all started in the cafe on Totters Lane. The place was nearly full, but I'd managed to get a table to myself in the back room. I had my headphones in. The highest profile case in the county for decades, and we got nothing to go on. The trouble is, it's a motiveless crime. Just two 15-year-old lads... Al had gone to the trouble of preparing a separate vegetarian main course for soon. Even if it was only vegetables on a bed of vegetables. Being Soup. stuck inside all these months must be murder if you can't get on. But in our case, it's been plain sailing. If anything, we're closer now than we've ever been. And I've just I came out of Citizens Advice last Thursday and spotted an anomalous object. I'd say it was floating about 50 feet in the air above the Sue Rider shop. She said there'd be no room for wishy-washy liberals if the Muslims take over. You know who they execute homosexuals in Iran? Mind you, Maureen hasn't got much time for them either. I think she's a bit torn there. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. The Golden Age Theatre Company are transferring 18 of their award-winning online video monologues to the stage for a brand new season of shows post-lockdown. Each show explores powerful themes and shines a spotlight on modern society with some stark warnings of what might be to come. SNS returnee Ian Dixon Potter, creative head and sole writer of all the shows, joins me now. So, Ian, it's lovely to have you on the show again. Now, for those who haven't heard our previous features on your work, tell us about the initial creation of the Golden Age Theatre Company and what your aims were. Well, when the first play, The Dead Shepherd, was accepted, it was suggested to me by the artistic director of the White Bear Theatre that uh, I create a theatre company as a vehicle for this and future plays. And um, obviously, I thought hard about what the aim was, and, and we decided it sounds a little pompous, but we, we wanted to explore big ideas in both uh, contemporary and historical settings. That, that, that was the idea. But, mm. And so, we, we wanted to create thought provoking plays, plays that uh, the audience would go away pondering and hopefully affect them in some way. Sure. And that, that was the aim. And the name Golden Age Theatre Company partly came from the fact that the first one was set during the so-called Elizabethan Golden Age of Theatre. And I've just always liked the idea of, of a golden age, of, of a, a time of, of creativity where a lot of different artists from different disciplines come together and create interesting things. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And to say, but I have seen a couple of your productions which were fantastic, very thought-provoking and dealing with different issues and a different slant on historical characters and all the rest of it. That We had Good King Richard, which was very much not the Richard III William Shakespeare take, <laughs> and um, one about the trans community as well, which was, uh, yeah. I would say, very ahead of its time. It's conversations we're having at the moment. Well, let's come to the monologues then, which uh, obviously have been developed over the last couple of years during lockdown, probably can be best described as reminiscent of Alan Bennett's Talking Heads and recorded as one-person plays uh, addressed to camera on YouTube. Tell us about the background to these and your decision to produce them in this way. 
Well, it, it was inspired precisely by the fact that the BBC were going to remake, and did remake, Alan Bennett's monologues. And when I heard that the announcement, it must have been back in March or April, the height of the first lockdown, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we can have a go at doing something like that. And so I, I know I very much enjoyed the original monologues and the, and the remakes, which didn't come out for a few months after that, but they were superb as well, with uh, the same scripts with different actors. And so, yes, that, that was very much the inspiration. And the first one was Trivial Dispute, which is partly based on a real series of events. First off, he asks members to post photos of their cars in interesting locations, and we, we get quite a lot of those. Then he starts posting what you might call short opinion pieces, looking at classic cars and, and what they say about their owners, all meant to be a bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I think he reckons himself to be a motoring journalist or something. He was obviously being deliberately provocative to try and get other members to respond. And it worked as well. You could see how the number of responses increased as his posts became more controversial. Eventually, there was quite a debate going on, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of his comments uh, didn't start to upset a few people. I don't think everyone appreciated his sense of humour. I think it's got something to do with the fact that he won't use emojis. Punctuation for the tone deaf, he called them. And that, that was a pleasure to make, the actor, Neil Somerville, gave such a wonderful performance. And, and as well as making a monologue which was intended ultimately to be performed live, we also took the opportunity of filming it, because we knew there wasn't, we wouldn't be able to perform it live for a few months. Yes, of course. And uh, the, the beauty of monologues is that you, you can rehearse them on Zoom, so you don't need to hire a rehearsal hall. You don't need to meet up. You don't need to break the, the, the you know the, the social distancing or the, the, the stipulates of the lockdown, and uh, and we could also film them as well. Mm. Uh, first, uh, we waited until after the first lockdown before filming them. And then, when the second lockdown came along, we continued to film them. But this time, the actor was filming them rather than myself going along with the equipment. Gosh. So, yes, I mean there are now eighteen monologues. Uh, seven were performed live at the White Bear Theatre back in October, and ten at the Little Venice Canal Cafe Theatre in December, just squeezed in between the end of the second lockdown and the beginning of London going into <laughs> Tier 3. We were lucky. We just managed to get it in. And That's it was in incredible. 18 <laughs> monologues. These are like uh, about approximately half an hour each. Yes, they vary. The shortest one is probably about 25 minutes, and the longest one... Uh, approaching 50 minutes, actually. Amazing. Yeah. And you've written every single one of these? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. Um, I mean, during the lockdown, it's something to do. Basically. Well, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and as you said, you know, a selection of them have been performed on stage uh, before during brief lockdown pauses uh, with uh, actual real life theatres, which is wonderful. Talk us through some of the highlights and, and also the feedback you've had uh, online and in the theatre. Well, First of all, one of the reasons for filming them was we were able to get reviews. A lot of reviewers, of course, are not reviewing at the moment, but fortunately there are three or four who are. And so and we were fortunate to get some really very positive reviews from the likes of London Theatre One and Theatre Monkey and the Reviews Hub and uh, a younger theatre and so on. 
and these reviews can be used to market the live performances. Yes. The live performance is the thing, that the film version isn't really the main event, but uh, it, it's a test bed for the live performance. I, I could see with a few of them that uh, we needed to be trimmed here and there, one or two things had to change. And so there, you know, there are changes that have been made as a result of seeing the film version. Yeah. But the main thing was that they got reviews. As for the highlights, well, what can I say, really? I mean, some of the uh, some of the monologues were based on previous plays. Yeah. Some of them were entirely new. Most of them were entirely new. So here I am in conversation with this curiously attractive person, and I still can't work out if it's a boy or a girl. I didn't have a clue, not from the, the body language, the gestures, not even the voice. So, I introduce myself. Thinking once I know their name, it'll clear up the matter, but it turns out they call themselves Blue. So that wasn't much help. Anyway, we continue talking about the dating game, and then Blue mentions how people like to uh, categorise both themselves and their ideal lover how people like to put themselves into neat little boxes in order to appeal to a perfect partner and then dress and decorate their home as if they've just stepped out of a Sunday supplement, all carefully crafted to make them seem like a better catch. I've often thought the same thing myself. You, you wonder where the real person is beneath all that stuff. We've got uh, a monologue called Inside Blue, which is... It's the events of the play Boy Stroke Girl, which had four runs a few years ago. And that was the, the trans one, yeah. Exactly. A young man falls in love with somebody whose gender he can't tell uh, and um, the reaction of his friends and family. And only at the end of the play does he discover the gender of the character Blue and the audience never do. Yeah, it was brilliant. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Thanks. And the, this has spawned two monologues, one of them called The Strange Romance, which is a story seen from the point of view of the young man, Peter. And the second one, which I'm still rehearsing, is called Inside Blue, where we see the story from the point of view of the person of ambiguous gender. How interesting. So yes, it's a very different beast. It reminds me a little bit of A Norman Conquest, which was the same play uh, filmed in th three different times. So you had everything that happened in the kitchen during that two-hour time window and, and everything that happened in the garden and in the sitting room. Yes, it's, it's, it's a bit like that. The mm. same story, just seen from a different point of view. But, but it's a very different point of view because Blue is very much a mystery in, in the original play and in A Strange Romance. But when you... In the monologue Inside Blue, we really start to understand what makes Blue tick. Yes, you get inside their head, of course. I loved my life. I didn't want it to end. I loved the world. I didn't want to leave it. It's so full of wonder and drama and incident. And like any good drama, I wanted to see what happens next. One of your plays I particularly enjoyed was Transhuman, which was the idea of, uh, of this person downloading their very essence into the mainframe and living forever. And uh, me and my partner, we went to see that perform live, and it was so, so good. So well written and performed. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, that, that's based on quite a lot of research. The, the main proponent of this idea of transhumanism is a chap called Ray Kurzweil, who's a leading 
scientists in the field of artificial intelligence. And he believes that this will happen by about 2045. So, you know, if we're lucky within our, life, within our lifespan, we will be able to uh, upload ourselves to the cloud and continue living in some form. Yeah, but is it us or is it, is it a, a photostat of us? <laughs> That's the argument. It's, it's, it, well, is it a copy or is it a person? Is it the person who yeah. lives on? Is it a continuation of their consciousness? So the, the monologue addresses that question. It also looks at the potential dark side of this. So you, you actually are, the, the monologue is, is, is delivered by the transhuman. Yeah. It's the person who has made that transition into the digital form. Yeah, it's almost like the idea of your sort of um, digital imprint, you know, that you leave, which obviously we're leaving more and more these days, but this sort of takes it to to uh, extremes, absolutely fascinating ideas. Yeah, but that isn't, that isn't the real person, is it? That is just a, a facsimile yeah. of the person for the benefit of those who are left behind. But the idea of transhumanism, it is a continuation of the same person. Mm. And gradually, that, that's the way it's achieved, by gradual augmentation, increasing cybernetic augmentation. And so the final leap into the digital realm is a small step to take, and the continuation of the same consciousness all the way through. There is still so much I wanted to do. Research projects to pursue, academic papers to write, places to visit, people to meet. I simply wasn't ready to go. So I signed up. Okay. Paid my dues and underwent a series of operations, each time receiving a new implant. With a, a few weeks in between each operation to allow me to recuperate and get used to using each implant. Making sense of the confusing cacophony of data was not unlike a baby coming to terms with its first sensory experiences. Communicating with websites and navigating the cloud was like learning how to walk and talk for the very first time. Now, two things I, I picked up on. Firstly, you are now an award-winning theatre company, which is fantastic. So tell us all about that. And, and to counteract that, what was the uh, episode that got banned from YouTube? <laughs> yes. Well, the award-winning one, briefly, the, it was the actor himself, Ifan Comiso, who, who is playing the character Jake in a, in a monologue called Loving the Time of Corona, oh. which is about a young man who's used to meeting girls on Tinder, and having one night stands and not really forming relationships. He's very much a, a typical toxic male. <laughs> I usually meet girls on a variety of dating apps and almost always we, well, consummate our relationship on the first date, if you can call it a relationship. I always suggest meeting at a local watering hole and after the preliminaries are over, I suggest a nightcap back in my place which is conveniently just around the corner. Anyways, if a girl does end up coming back here, then I know she's fair game. Put it this way, we both know exactly what's going to happen. Now, from time to time, I do meet a girl that doesn't want to come back here on the first date. Takes all sorts. And then, as a consequence of the lockdown, he's forced into a, a celibate lifestyle, but he forms a, a relationship on Zoom with a woman for the first time in his life, actually talking to a woman without any other agenda. Mm. And he gradually forms, falls in love with her. And it was Ifan himself who suggested I submit this to 
uh, a film festival. There are there are a lot of film festivals I've discovered, but very few of them have monologues as a category. Mm. In fact, this is the only one I found, and it's called the Vesuvius International Film Festival. So, well, why not? I submitted it, and we won first prize in the category. So oh. that was gratifying. So That's we can amazing. Well, listen, congratulations on that. That is absolutely incredible. So, uh, so what happened with the 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 band? Uh... Oh, the, the band one. Well, one of the monologues is called Denial, and as the name suggests, it is partly about COVID denial. Yeah, it's also a river in Egypt, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, sorry, I had to get that in. You have to say that. I do apologise, Ian. It's been a long day. <laughs> but it's not about that particular night. Okay. <laughs> the, the thing about denial is you cannot conceive of a more savage critique of corporate denial. The character himself, again played by Neil Somerville, is a, a very unreliable narrator. You discover early on in the monologue he's not to be trusted, he's not to be relied upon, he's a member of the Tin Hat Brigade, he believes in all sorts of conspiracy theories. Uh, and about halfway through the monologue, also the issue of COVID denial comes up. So it's only really you're about 15 minutes in that you start to realise that he is a COVID denier. Of course, this test and trace makes it seem like there's loads of cases, but that's exactly what they want you to think. In reality, these tracers were being paid good money for sitting at home with absolutely nothing to do. Is it any wonder their phones weren't ringing? because there weren't any real cases. If there was a real risk of contagion, would that Dominic Cummings have driven all the way up to Durham at the height of the pandemic? <laughs> of course he wouldn't. He knew what was really going on. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't one of them that cooked it up in the first place. In the story, he accidentally introduces COVID-19 into a, uh, a care home. And as a consequence of that, a lot of people die. Mm. And this is based on a real event. I won't mention the name of the real care home, but uh, 20 people did die in a care home as a consequence of one person's action. But in this case, the character who's called Neville, he's a COVID denier, and therefore his behaviour is uh, careless. He, he carelessly contracts COVID, but it's not a serious case for him. But he, then he introduces it into the care home because he's visiting an elderly uh, friend of the family, Marjorie. But the curious thing is, YouTube banned this. The, the monologue was filmed, it was posted on YouTube, and, and uh, shortly afterwards it, it was banned. And there is a mechanism whereby you can appeal a ban, but it's just an automatic mechanism. There doesn't seem to be a human being involved, uh, because within a few minutes of appealing the ban, it, 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 the ban was simply reinforced. And there's no opportunity with YouTube to actually speak to a human being. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, because if, if if a human being were to review the monologue, they would see that it is a critique of COVID denial. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, YouTube clearly have a policy, quite appropriately, of taking off material which appears to uh, uh, reinforce the idea that, the, that there isn't really a pandemic. But by banning something which critiques that, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in a way, I feel like the little man uh, up against the faceless monolithic yeah. Entity. It's very, you know, it's very 1984, isn't it? It's all these transhumans floating around uh, cyberspace. <laughs> exactly. They thought they call it artificial intelligence. Well, there's nothing very intelligent about their algorithms. 
if they ban an monologue which is actually attacking COVID. Yeah. But it's all grist to the mill. I think the fact that it's been um, banned is, is a further useful point <laughs> of marketing in a way. And yeah. we, we put it on a different platform. You see, YouTube is, a, they are a monopoly, but there are a number of smaller platforms. And there's one called Utreon. Mm. And there you have much more of a human touch. And so we put it on that one. So it's out there. You can still see it. Mm. Uh, although the monologues have been taken down for the duration of the... The film monologues have been taken down for the duration of the theatre. Yes, that's to encourage everybody to go and see um, see the monologues in the flesh, as it were. But just to yeah. say, in terms of uh, one being banned, I mean, it worked for Frankie Goes to Hollywood, didn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nothing like being banned to, to raise your profile. Absolutely. So now we get up to now and a brand new festival of monologues, which is going to be performed live in the real theatre again, which is so exciting. Give us all the details, Ian. Yes, this is the Hen and Chickens Theatre in Highbury, Islington. And we've been fortunate to be able to secure the use of the theatre to perform all the monologues, all 18. Wow. Uh, a series of nine double bills starting on Wednesday the 30th of June at 7.30 in the evening, right the way through to Saturday the 10th of July. That's quite well, a run, it was, isn't it? Yes, it's quite a run, it, 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 but it's it's nine nights. It's not on on a Sunday or Monday, but it's all between the Wednesday uh, and the following Saturday. And you say that there's uh, two each night. How yes. do you how do you uh, pick and choose uh, how they sort of fit together? Do you try to get two oh. that are poles apart, or one that sort of has a, a relationship mm. with the other? Yeah, well, there were so many factors that dictate that. Partly the availability of the actors, yeah. because they obviously have other commitments. Uh, partly the fact that I wanted to space out the monologues that, that are being pre performed by the same actor. Mm. So, for example, Love in the Time of Corona and I, Richard, are both being performed by Ivan Cosimo. So they needed to, to, be, to be spaced out. Uh, Melanie Thompson is, is performing both The Beast and DNA, so they had to be spaced out. And, and Neil Somerville is performing five, and they had to be spaced out. <laughs> wow. And then it was a question of... Uh, putting two together which work. So, for example, Iago and I, Richard, go together because Iago is, as the name suggests, a interpretation of Shakespeare's play Othello, and I, Richard, is the uh, uh, historical interpretation of Richard III, mm -hmm. therefore relates to Shakespeare's play Richard III. Yes, absolutely. So there are there 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 links between them, but it, but it was quite, quite difficult to work out for the precise schedule. Of, yes, of no, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be. But I, I mean, I, I remember thoroughly enjoying the evening I went to. So this one is the the Hen and Chicken Theatre. Chickens, plural. The Hen and Chickens. It's a long-established fringe theatre, mm. uh, very close to Highbury and Islington Tube. I've seen a few things there over the years. It's a very good theatre. Uh, obviously, it's subject to the limitations of social distancing. Yeah. So I think that the audience is down to. 25 or 30, so if people are interested in going, we were wise to book early. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. just to say that uh, the your um, uh, uh, website is goldenagetheatre.com. I think uh, everybody yes. should take a look at that. Obviously, there's not so many at the moment on YouTube because you're you're encouraging people to come and see them live, uh, but presumably they will yes. be uh, they will be put back up again at some point. Yes, probably. Yes, there's there's a, a big difference between the live. When I first saw them live, it just struck me how much more how much more immediate they were, how much better they were. It's a very different experience. So even if even if you've seen them on video, it's still worth going to see them live. 
the performance is so much stronger when you see them live on stage. So very much looking forward to uh, this uh, festival called Testimony, uh, which is at the Hen and Chickens Theatre from the 30th of June to the 10th of July, uh, 7.30 each night, apart from Sundays, and it's a double bill. Ian, thank you so much and looking forward to it. Thank you, Nick. snsonlineshow.com your brand new one-stop shop for all things SNS take a tour through our wide and diverse collection of shows and listen in to our exclusive range of in-depth interviews spanning the popular arts featuring actors, writers, journalists stand-up comedians, musicians and more you can also enjoy our shorter bite-sized series covering vibrant new theatre, television and book releases And with our Arts Lifestyle Remit, you get to explore issue-based topics, including health, mental health, women's rights around the world and LGBTQ. Contact us with both your comments and suggestions for future guests. And don't forget to read up on our blog, regularly updated with articles and photographs, a forum where everyone is welcome to contribute. snsonlineshow.com, your one-stop shop for all things SNS. SNS.